I want people to remember that they have wisdom in their beings, right? Our bodies are these wise, incredible beings that we inhabit. It's extremely radical mm-hmm. to reconnect to yourself and to do it in a way that feels good to you. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Emma, have you seen the moon the last few nights? I have. It's been so beautiful. Yeah, it was full over the weekend. So that means we're now moving into the waning phase, headed towards the new moon or the dark moon in a couple weeks. Do you know what that means for planting stuff? I know you've always been interested in planting by the moon. Yes, uh, where I grew up in Southern Appalachia, this knowledge was very much alive and well during the 60s and 70s. And, um, Though we lived in town, and my parents had beautiful flower gardens, this sort of thing was sort of considered more superstition than anything, the whole planning by the moon thing. But there was a special person who brought this into my life. She was a woman who helped my mom with cooking and housekeeping, and she'd grown up on a farm in the hills of southwest Virginia, which was very close by. And she was very much in tune with all of this. It was she who brought us these mounds of produce all during the summer uh, because everyone in her family had a garden and they knew what they were doing and they produced enormous amounts of food, far more than they could use. And she would drop off, you know, bags and bags of vegetables every summer and would often offer these little pearls of knowledge about the planting by the moon. It would be something like, you always plant peas in the twins, if I'm even remembering that correctly, or something like some other crop would go in at the head. So what did that mean? Well, it had to do with the zodiac because the moon actually moves through all 12 phases of the zodiac during its own 28-day cycle. That sounds pretty complicated and kind of just like a lot of things to know and keep track of. (laughs) Yeah, it was, or it is. And I really wish I'd paid more attention back in the day but of course it was just sort of seen as like something the old timers did and it was not relevant i think depending on who you talk to now that's probably still the case (laughs) right right (laughs) uh but aren't there some like basic principles that are a little easier to grasp and make more a little bit more sense at least for starters yes crops that grow above the ground should be planted when the moon is waxing or getting bigger in the sky And the new moon, which is the dark moon, is the best time to plant leafy annuals like lettuce, spinach, cabbage, and that sort of thing. Now, root crops are best planted when the moon is waning or 
getting smaller or past full. And just past full is a good time for potatoes, beets, and turnips. And during the last quarter phase, the week before the dark moon, you really shouldn't plant at all. And instead, you do tasks like weeding, mulching, composting, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like a built-in organizational system, if anything. Yeah. Even if it has nothing to do with the moon and where it is, which I don't know. I kind of believe that there's some truth to it. But even if it's nothing to do with that, it's just like a nice little schedule for yourself. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, well, I think the theory is that it has to do with the water and you know how the moon pulls the tides in and out. Mm-hmm. It's the same in the ground for plants and in our bodies, actually. Yeah. So speaking of the moon phases, our guest today is Sharon Bailey of the Glow Emporium, which is a women's wellness education platform and community. Sharon gave a talk in our almanac recently she's a member of the community which is really fun about how women can use the lunar cycle as a tool for self-care by tuning in to how your own cycle of energy mood productivity etc corresponds with the moon and the phases of your own menstrual cycle and really it does make so much sense because if it affects how plants grow and the tides coming in then why wouldn't affect us who are mostly water (laughs) So I think there's truth to all of it. Yeah, it does make so much sense. And since that talk, I personally have paid more attention to it and have definitely come up with a couple of observations about how my own energy waxes and wanes. And it's really such good stuff. So we're so excited to share Sharon with everyone today. Her story is really beautiful and the work that she does is really incredible. We talk a lot about birth work in this episode. And she references this topic quite a bit about working with your own personal cycles and how we've kind of been square peg, round hole, hold into this system that doesn't really work for us. And that's like where a lot of our tension and anxiety comes from. And so her solution is really a lot about figuring out your own systems that work for you and just how to be happier and healthier all around. She has so much wisdom for us and I just can't wait to share her with you. Yeah, so sit back and enjoy Sharon Bailey of Glow Emporium. My name is Sharon Bailey and I am the founder of the Glow Emporium and soon to be the Glow Apothecary, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. I am a homesteading mountain mama who lives in a tiny little town called Paonia up in the mountains of Colorado. It's little. I mean, there's like 3,000 people here. We don't have a restaurant that's open on Friday night. So I live here on our little homestead with my husband and our son, Fox, and we garden and have some ducks and chickens and I can food and run my business out of my garage office. And it's a pretty charmed little life that I live here. But in my work life, I focus on women's health. And I've always kind of focused on women's health as a yoga teacher. My background's in art education. And then also as a birth doula and childbirth educator. 
And so I've taken kind of the path from there into this place of helping connect women to their well-being and also just slowing down. Like as a homesteader, I live a much slower life here in Paonia. Like we don't have a stoplight for 90 miles. So like, you know, things move slowly around here. And I really want to integrate that into women's well-being education and then also take the time and space that people get when they really start diving into their well-being and utilizing that for change making. So the goal Emporium is kind of this intersection of well-being and change making because I think really nobody can be well unless everybody is well. And so I think it's really important to integrate in the work that I do. Yeah. And so just backing up a little bit before your charmed magical life in Colorado that I just love hearing so much about. And have you always been interested in health and wellness? A lot of times people come to this because they suffered a great hardship or they're sick or something and they find their way here. But like, how did you get here? Oh, girl, <laughs> lots of roads led me to here. One was my mom had borderline personality disorder. So I grew up watching her mental illness take her life for a full decade before she finally actually took her own life. So I spent all of my teens, basically from when I was nine until 19, when she passed away, just being almost the parent in the situation. And then also being what society deemed as an overweight child. I lived in Houston. So I lived in, you know, a really smoggy place. I was a smoker as a child. And actually I've been dealing with some lung stuff. You might hear me kind of wheeze a little bit on here. We're trying to figure out if I either have COPD or asthma, which has been a wild thing to discover in my late thirties. And so anyway, so I grew up in a really unhealthy environment. At the same time, my dad was an avid exercise enthusiast. My grandparents grew a massive garden out in the country. And so like that was also part of my upbringing. Moving forward in my 20s, I was kind of reeling from the mental health stuff of my mom and went down a pretty destructive path like heavy alcohol consumption, lots of disconnecting behaviors that disconnected me from my body even further than I already was. My body just didn't feel like a safe place to be. Taking care of myself didn't really feel like a thing I needed to do because I had spent so much time taking care of my mom and I didn't really know how to care for myself. And so when I entered into my thirties, I you know, started to pay more attention to my body because I just started getting really intense messages from my body. Like, Hey, you can't party that hard anymore. Or, Hey, you have to sleep. And then I got pregnant and had my son. And so taking a break from, you know, all the toxins that I was toxifying my body with during pregnancy. And then also just my son didn't sleep for the first year. Well, really 14 months of his life. And he kept me up. <laughs> and so I didn't sleep for about 14 straight months. And that doesn't even include pregnancy. And so in that haze of refocusing all my energy into somebody that needed that care from me, it really was so eye-opening to see how much my body needs from me to be healthy and how important also it is for me to care for myself, to be able to care for my family. So then I got into birth work, which is a whole other realm 
of connecting people to information so they can be empowered in their birth and their birth experience and enter into parenthood. So many people, it's just a crash landing into parenthood. That's what it was for me. You know, the intention behind going into birth work was to really help people make that jump from conceiving, birthing into parenting in a way that they felt nurtured. And it wasn't just like, now what the hell do I do with myself? And really being able to nurture and raise humans that, you know, to be able to raise the next generation in a way that instead of reeling from the trauma of a birth experience and pregnancy, that they felt held and then can do that with their own children. It's so interesting. I'm from a generation before you guys. And it occurred to me while you were talking, and I've thought of this before too, talking to other people in y'all's age range, that there's so much more consciousness and awareness now of becoming a parent and the whole birthing process and the intentionality and all that behind it. When certainly in my parents' era and maybe to a lesser degree in my time, that was sort of what you did to become an adult and to grow up in y'all's generation. What do you think has been the effect of all this focus on it? I think that there's a lot more of a support system out there. And I also think that there is a different societal pressure and personal pressure with the emergence of social media Mm -hmm. and like the Pinterest birth and the Pinterest mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and having to have all these boxes checked and then, you know, making sure that your child is achieving in a way that's like keeping up with the Joneses or whatever. And I think simultaneously the impetus on people to take care of themselves and the movement in the wellness world of self-healing and self-care has kind of created this interesting battle between like, I have to have this perfect birth or this perfect parenting experience. And I also have to look at the reality of what it's like to raise a human in the world. (laughs) And especially in modern day where your kids also have access to technology. So yeah, there's a big push for forums and stuff for for parents to learn how to be conscious parents, to be able to care for themselves, to be able to bounce things off of each other and learn from each other. I also think that there's an underlying current in a lot of those that's like people really look at themselves and get down on themselves because they're not feeling like they're able to keep up with other parents and how they're doing things. And the thing that I have noticed and that my co-host on my podcast, Liz Winters, her whole background is in the birth world. And she has created an actual birth club. It's called the Badass Birthers Club to create a safe space for people to not have to deal with the politics, the mom politics or the parent politics that I think comes up in a lot of these forums and groups where people are like Mm -hmm. coming together to try to be better parents. I think a lot of people just leave those situations feeling like, oh man, I'm not doing enough. Yeah. I want to go back and just say thank you so much for sharing. Your background is incredible. Just sharing so generously. I think that will speak to so many people. I really do love hearing stories of people who work in wellness because I think it's no coincidence that many people find themselves there from overcoming great 
challenges and I think self-healing and that kind of metamorphosis journey is is so beautiful and admirable and I think you know it would be a better planet if every single human like did that in their life (laughs) I think that it's beautiful too that you kind of were led to birth well by being pregnant that makes a lot of sense but also the birth work because it's such a beautiful encapsulation of all the work that you're doing on yourself and you want to help other women and it just like feeds really beautifully into the rest of your work so now you mentioned you're not in birth work as much tell us about like what's coming up and like the current mission of Glow Emporium and and what you're doing now yeah absolutely so Glow was something I've been gestating, if you will, to go with the whole pregnancy theme for years. And it's kind of in a culmination of so many things. And I think a lot of it is what you said, you know, there's a lot of privilege and well-being, right? And they don't have or create space or feel like they have the time to dive into what it takes to really peel back the onion, when we start looking at root causes of dis-ease in our body. And then also to go back to the whole thing we were talking about with the highlight reel of Instagram and Pinterest and stuff, when it comes in the wellness world, there's such a lack of representation. When I first started on my wellness journey, quote unquote, I remember looking at people. By this time, I started doing yoga when I was 19. So I'm 37 now. I've been practicing yoga on and off for a long time. It's literally helped me get through some of the biggest traumas in my life. Yet I've never been in a body that looks like quote unquote, a yoga body, you know, which is funny because yoga was originally practiced by men in India. So the Americanized version of yoga. Right. And then when it comes to nutrition, like I was dealing with some nutrition stuff too. I had this condition called SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it required me to go on a pretty intense diet for almost a year to kind of deal with this bacterial growth that was happening in the wrong organs, right bacteria, wrong organs. And so I learned a lot from there, but also diving in the nutritional world, it was hard to find somebody who I could physically identify with. And then also being a new mom, having very little time for myself. So a lot of that time was taken up by just trying to figure out how to feed myself in a whole new way. I mean, I had to cut out so many things. (laughs) And then physically, I had a lot of structural issues that came up from pregnancy. And right about the time I was finally healing that I broke my tailbone and all these compounding things. I feel like my life's work is to take every trial I have and then utilize it as an education point in all this experience of trying to learn how to care for myself as a 30 plus year old with a child. So I'm also learning how to care for that person. And then Meanwhile, learning how to be in a relationship with my husband, like a long-term relationship, never been in one of those. It was a pretty intense learning experience. So it was hard to find representation of all of those facets of myself and other people. And it takes a lot of combing. What I found myself doing is essentially doulaing that for other people. Like as I found something that really resonated with me, somebody that I really learned from, I would take that and disseminate it out to people in my network, which is the same thing I did as a doula. I mean, one of the primary jobs of a doula is to be a bridge of education. 
you take information, you give that information to this person who's going to give birth and their family, and then they make the decisions about their own well-being, right? And how they're going to have that birth. Same thing with well-being in the way that I am trying to make the connection with the Glow Emporium. The whole idea behind the Glow Emporium is to teach women or female identifying folks how to slow down, create space in their life, deepen their well-being, and then go into the world and make change. And one thing I realized when this past election, I was doing some phone banking for a local election, which I really despise phone banking, not going to lie. Cold calling people who may or may not be in the same political spectrum as me is very anxiety (laughs) inducing, but I still did it because I knew it was something I really needed to do. And when I was talking to people in my community, women in my community about it, they were like, oh, thanks for doing that. Like, I don't have the time or the energy or the, you know, bandwidth or whatever to do that. And then this person that I was phone banking against ended up becoming elected and is causing some pretty big damage, I feel like, in our part of the state. And all the same people who didn't have space or time or energy to be proactive against, you know, preventing that person from being elected are now complaining about them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a very vicious cycle, right? Because if you look at the grander scale, our society has us on this patriarchal schedule, right? We as women run on a 28 day give or take hormonal cycle, Mm -hmm. whereas men run on a 24 hour hormonal cycle (laughs) on the base level we are being asked to push through work, you know, show up, run on that type of schedule at that type of pace. Busyness is rewarded and nobody can create space to make change because they're too worn out and they're Mm -hmm. too exhausted and they're overworked and they're underpaid. And it seems like so much effort just to take an hour or two out of your week to make a great change in the world. And so Mm -hmm. the whole idea behind the Glow Emporium is one, to teach people how to slow down, to teach people that the reason why people are getting sick all the time, the reason why people are tired and worn out is because our system isn't designed for us and our well-being and mind. And one of the most radical things you can do is understand your body and take care of your body and being, right? And then to take that... And also it can be so overwhelming to, you know, go on social and people are like, you know, the social justice or the environmental justice stuff that needs to be done. It can squash a person because it's so overwhelming. There's just so much dis-ease in the world, right? So in the Glow Emporium and in particular with the Glow Apothecary, which is the off social membership platform is similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And I love being part of the almanac. I just want to say that right now. I love being part of the almanac, but the idea is to get people off of social and into a community of people who have similar values, who want to learn how to care for themselves and their families, if they have families, and then to go out in the world and make change. And so the idea is to make that sustainable and attainable for people. 
to make it digestible and action oriented. So as a group, people are making that action together as opposed to just like, oh shit, let me sign this petition. Okay. I've done my job for the day. Right. You know what I mean? That's amazing. <laughs> and other, yeah. And then the other part of it is having the Emporium. So the Emporium right now is brands that I partner with. Basically, I read the label so people don't have to, because to me, it's really important. And I know this is the same for y'all in the mm -hmm. conversation that we had on Unrefined She about, you know, spending more and buying less and how that is one path to sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. And then also all the other things that come along with shopping. I had to break partnership with a brand because they were paying for ad campaigns for a personality on Instagram that I felt was sending very dangerous messages about the social justice movement and a bunch of other stuff. I take painstaking measures mm -hmm. to connect with brands that I feel like are doing not only sustainable work, but ethical work and who are really making change in the industries that they're part of. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think it's so interesting how you just laid out how slowing down in self-care for women is actually necessary and it's countercultural, but not because we deserve it or like we need it to be healthy and you know, whatever, but it's because we're actually being forced into this other system that serves one thing. And then what happens is when they're like, okay, well, why aren't you serving in this way? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? And it's because we're literally working against ourselves. So it's just like totally backwards and inside out. And that's so interesting that males work on a 24 hour hormonal cycle it blows my mind. It blows my mind too still. <laughs> and, and I know it so well. And I actually sculpt my entire schedule around my hormonal cycle, literally mm -hmm. everything. And it has been so eye-opening when I initially was telling my mother-in-law about this and she worked you know, a nine to five, her whole entire life, she kind of scoffed at it. And I thought, you know, it would be something that I would scoff at too, mm -hmm. if I hadn't been able to take the time to step back. It seems like it should be a big thing of privilege. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is mm -hmm. to be able to sit in the week of my period. Like I'm not going to plan, you know, to teach a workshop or do mm -hmm. interviews or like say yes to things. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you look at the deep root cause, yeah, it's privilege for me to be able to do that. But when I do that and I teach people how to do it, then I'm working on changing a system that was created to keep us in that loop of just mm -hmm. never being able to like always feel like you're spinning your wheels, running yourself out, getting sick, <laughs> then having mm -hmm. to take the time off and not getting paper. I mean, it's just like the treacherous cycle, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're talking about the system. I want to go into that a little more and say the system is actually comprised of several systems. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a lot with Lady Farmer. We've got the food system. We have the clothing system, and we have a consumer system that, as we've talked about, sells you all these things with not your health in mind. You look at it all together, and we've all got ourselves on the hamster wheel of trying to, to keep it all together. 
and make it work because that's the way we think it's been always done. But the truth be known that this is really kind of a phenomenon of basically this century. The patriarchy thing goes back, of course, thousands of years. But the hamster wheel I'm talking about of the way we live or way we're trying to live nowadays is a product of the century, kind of like a post-World War II thing where women were told to go to work, you know, during the war. And then afterwards they were told, you know, to go back home and do it because the men needed jobs when they got home and then become housewives and then have children. And then, no, you need to be treated like a man. You need to go out and get your job. And so there's all these crazy messages and conflicting thought patterns in the last century that I think have got us all just really confused. Well, I mean, I think one, if you're looking at the whole being and a whole lifestyle, all those systems come into play, right? Have you all seen The Good Place? Yes, I have. There's this whole point system to get in the good or the bad place and this whole thing about how people can't get in the good place because inadvertently, if you make any choice in life, you're inadvertently making a bad decision because there's all these systems in place. If you buy an apple, then somebody on the other side of the world has been harmed for that, right? So, mm-hmm. you, you know, the hamster wheel you're talking about is essentially is capitalism, right? We're yeah. in this capitalistic society. And I think I'm woefully ignorant when it comes to the history of feminism. I'll be very honest there. But when we look at the movement of women entering into the workplace, and I think this is also going back to what we were talking about with the change into conscious parenting, into support for parents, you know, I think it's come along with the idea of women going into the workplace, working full-time jobs right alongside of men, right? And the reality is, yes, we deserve the same things as men, but we're different. And it goes down to our hormonal cycles, right? And by default, most women end up with the responsibility of raising their children. You know, if they choose to have children, like that's not everybody, but there's a lot more burden on women. And then to look at the systems there that are in place, I mean, they all play into the burden of women. So much of capitalism and the patriarchy and social media and advertising, marketing, everything plays in to the insecurities of women that we're supposed to be able to work full days. We're supposed to be able to keep a clean house and keep our kids fed, you know, the right kinds of food and make all these decisions and be proactive in our government and yada, yada, yada. There's just not and enough educate hours. Them. Yes, exactly. There's just not enough hours in the day <laughs> to do our to-do list. Right. And yet again, busyness is rewarded. If mm-hmm. you're not busy, then you're not doing enough. I think it even kind of goes back to our ancestors that we're not making our ancestors who fought so hard for us to have the privilege of being able to work or being able to vote or being able to, you know, own property or have a bank account, right? We're not making them proud. We're not doing their work justice if we don't do all of these things. And that's just exhausting. Yeah, I think the thing that's been forgotten in the 20th and 21st century, and I refer to this, this is just a term I came up with, although I'm sure I'm not the first one to use it, but our ancient body, what does our ancient body say about how we live every day? That's before industrialism. It actually goes back about 200 and plus something thousand years because we're the same species 
we were that appeared on the planet around that time. And not a whole lot has changed biologically in that time. What has changed enormously is how we try to fit ourselves into the world and our activities and our interactions and, you know, our technology and all that stuff has changed profoundly. The way we're living now is literally a tiny fraction of the time than our species has been on the planet. And so how is that supposed to impact our nervous system? How is it supposed to impact our mental health? How is it supposed to impact everything? And even the last 40 years, our food system, what we're putting in our bodies has changed so much. We've introduced so many foreign substances into our ancient bodies. Yeah, we have a lot to deal with that, that I think is really important to help each other just bring to consciousness and say, you know, we're pretty amazing, adaptable beings. We need to give ourselves a lot of space to deal with a lot of things. When we look at these systems that we keep talking about, I love the term ancient body. Our wisdom has been almost wiped out of existence. The wisdom of the soil, the wisdom of our food, the wisdom of our hormonal cycles, right? The wisdom of child rearing, of birthing, of aging, the wisdom of cohabitating with elders, right? multi-generational families. There's so much wisdom that has been stripped from us in this system. And so much of slowing down is remembering the wisdom that we have in our bodies, the wisdom that we are part of the earth where everything we take in and our nervous systems and our bodies, our organs, they're all being so taxed because there's just so much coming at us. And there's so much required of us to say yes to. And then when we start looking at that wisdom, it's regarded as woo. Woo is like a derogatory term about just this ancestral wisdom that we've been kind of forced to forget. You know, the idea of looking at the stars for guidance or the moon for guidance or the sound of water. You know, the sound of water for me is like one of the most nurturing sounds. It calms my nervous system instantly, right? And even to talk about that, it has this kind of woo feel to it, right? So when we embrace the woo, <laughs> when we embrace <laughs> our wisdom and the wisdom of our ancestors, it's a really great place to just start and to question why. When something comes up, like when I'm teaching and I tell people, you know, one thing or another and their woodar goes off, that's what I call it. Why is your woodar <laughs> going off? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and think about that. Where does that come from? What point in your life were you told that it's not okay for you to think like that? It's not okay yeah. for you to, I don't know, hold a crystal in your hand and see if, if any feelings come up or to smell herbs and feel them in your body. And so for me, slowing down has been reconnecting to my own body's rhythm. And I'm fortunate in that I haven't been on hormonal birth control. My husband has a vasectomy, so we don't have to worry about that when it comes to family planning. And I've spent the last couple of years tracking my menstrual cycle. I schedule my life completely around my hormonal fluctuations. I also look at the rhythms of nature. 
and utilize those as well. If I'm planning to do something in the winter time, it's likely going to be much more internal than external, right? I plan my entire business around the cycles of nature. I plan my entire business around the cycles of my body. And then also, what are we trading all that time for? When I'm busy, Mm -hmm. what am I trading that busyness for? Am I trading it for a breath? of fresh air? Am I trading it for a walk with my son? Am I trading it for a a nice meal with my family? I think going back to the purpose of how we spend our time is so vitally important to how we move through the world. And that was really apparent to me when working with birthing people, when people would tell me they want to have a quote unquote natural childbirth, I would say, well, why? What's your purpose behind it? Because when you are faced with challenges, in your birthing time, we're going to lean into that purpose. And I need to know what that purpose is. And you need to know more than anybody what that purpose is so that I can help you go back to that purpose and move through whatever challenge it is. And the same goes through everything we do in your life. If you move through life with purpose and intention behind what you say yes to and what you say no to, then it allows more space for you to slow down because I think we'll all find that we say yes to a lot of stuff we don't want to do. And it takes away from the time that we have to say yes to the things that we want to say yes to, which may be sitting next to a river. And as a entrepreneur, there is an internal message that I get when I'm like, I'm going to take time to sit next to a river and calm my nervous system and enjoy the beauty of nature. I mean, I live in the wilderness, but I still don't give myself that time. And again, it goes back to those systems that are telling us we need to do, 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 be busy, 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 run in the hamster wheel of life. (laughs) And really when we remove ourselves from that, even for a second, even if we can't physically remove ourselves from that, even if we just start looking at the grander picture, then we start to see, you know, how much we're being guided in our beliefs and how much our beliefs might actually be vastly different. This is kicking up so many things for me. It's so much fun. What you were saying about what are we trading the time for? I think of that so often and having grown up to the 60s and the 70s, and I kind of witnessed somewhat of a consumer revolution, so to speak, in terms of food and clothing and all that. And on reflection, I can see that we were sold the idea that convenience is everything particularly for women, because speaking of the whole history of feminism, a really good book to read to kind of put it in perspective is Betty Friedan's Feminine Mystique. She sort of explains the history of it. And so in those years, women were told to be home and make a good home and, and raise children and keep them clean and support your husband in the career. And that was sort of that era. Maybe before women started going, heck no, I want to go to the office too. So particularly for women, convenience was everything because there was so much to do. So, you know, the foods, the foods that were instant. And then a few years later, the cheaper clothes. So they they didn't have to make the clothes. The appliances that make cleaning easier and all that. So convenience became king, okay? Convenience was everything. And conversations were, oh, try this thing or that thing because it's so convenient. One aspect of slow living, I think, is that convenience is being dethroned (laughs) because exactly what you said, when you save time or whatever with something that's more convenient, what are you trading it for? 
Mm-hmm. There's so many examples of this in my own life and my own child raising and my own upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a homesteader, you know, in my business in August, September, and into October are big times to push for business owners, for entrepreneurs, right? And I have to clear my entire schedule to can food, to process all the food that's coming out of our garden. And I have to take that into consideration. I understand that there's privilege there. And also at the same time, that to me and my family is very important that we grow food, that we preserve food, and that we're able to eat that food all year long. We've made the choice and we're privileged enough to be able to follow through with that choice. That's how we've chosen to spend our extra time. We're fed this idea of convenience and we still are. I mean, it's definitely a huge issue. And, you know, I think for me, part of utilizing my privilege is not buying into those industries anymore and taking that time and taking that energy and taking those resources for my family, but also teaching people how to utilize them as well and telling the corporations, you know what? I don't want your prepackaged crap. So I'm voting with my dollars there and I'm voting with my time. We might have talked about this before, but sustainability and privilege are a huge topic. And we want to help people understand that in many aspects, sustainability is a privilege. However, we want to make it more accessible to everyone. And the way we do that is whatever privilege we have to make those kinds of decisions, make them so that they become more a part of the new emerging system. So we were sold convenience. Then we had to have been convinced at one point that all of the time we spent doing repetitive tasks was boring and not fun, and there were other better things we could do with our time. But as we're kind of relearning the value of those repetitive tasks and they can be mindless or mindful but particularly me I don't have a family yet so feeding one or two people is not that big of an issue but in COVID times and things get boring it's really easy to be like oh we could just order in tonight or I could take the like 30 minutes it's not a big deal to cook something (laughs) what I'm getting at is when I do make the choice to cook something Even though I don't want to at first, I'm always glad that I did. At the end of the day, I think something innately human in us is actually like, oh, actually, no, it's really fun to like take the long way, right? Take the scenic route, as we're saying, when we have the privilege to and we have the time to and and we've given ourselves the mental space to do that. So why do we think we let that get taken away from us so easily? In relearning it, we realize, actually, no, this is really great. I wonder why... We were so easily like duped. That's a really good question. This gets a little woo in your words, Sharon. Go woo. I'm a big fan. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It goes back a long time to women trying to fit themselves in a patriarchal system Mm -hmm. and are telling ourselves that we need to be a certain way and we need to jump through a certain number of and types of hoops when we're ignoring our ancient bodies and we're ignoring our biological role in nature it becomes very very stressful most of the time in parenthood it's the women who take on the main role of you know raising children 
And we need to cultivate that for all genders. Still, it's our biological bodies that create that dynamic of the mother taking primary responsibility. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, absolutely. And there was something you said where you said, you know, women are like, I want to go to the office too. And I think we have to look at that kind of pivotal moment in history when women were being asked to and want to provide for themselves and provide for their families, right? But the only thing available was this patriarchal system. Yeah. And those type of jobs that were built with men's rhythms in mind. Yes. So before women kept the home. So it was their job to make time to clean and cook and all that crap, right? I'm in this business club. It's Rachel Rogers of Hello7, her business club. And there's a lot of talk about women and money and our relationship to work and money. And I think that there's been a merging of the worlds of women keep the home, women also work. And there's a criticism that comes along with women outsourcing things like cleaning, childcare, whatever. Most women who have a paid for nanny who don't come from a lot of wealth, but have somebody who comes into their house to help with their children or cook their meals or do their laundry. They're usually pretty reserved about sharing that because they're concerned about judgment from other women. What's an acceptable form of outsourcing is to having takeout, having somebody else prepare your food at a restaurant, Mm. right? That's acceptable. And so it's like, yeah, we just went out to dinner, right? As opposed to, yes, I paid for somebody to do my laundry Mm -hmm. so that I had time to cook because Mm -hmm. cooking for me is actually very nurturing. I mean, it's just so much more deeper than just this like surface level. I like to cook. Like, why don't I just give myself the time to cook? And it's like, well, let's look deep at the root. And it's the same thing as well-being, right? It's like, oh, I have been struggling to breathe lately. Okay. This is my own lung issues. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling to breathe over the last year. Oh, well, it goes back to growing up in a smoggy city and being a smoker at a young age. And then my practitioners helped me look even further into, oh, well, what was I dealing with at the time? Oh, I was dealing with my mom's mental illness and I really just needed to take a breath. And the only way I socially knew how to do that was to smoke a cigarette as a young person. I mean, there's just so much in the root cause of all things. So gosh, so much good stuff. I think about it a lot too. In my own adulthood, I don't feel like I've been an adult for very long, but I've noticed even from high school and I'm about to turn 30. So there's been such a big shift from like now all of a sudden women in the home and homemaking is cool again, (laughs) Instagrammable. And maybe it's just the world that I live in, this lady farmer, you know, kind of going back to traditional ways of eating and being and just more connected to the earth is just so funny because I did grow up reading people like Betty Friedan and and all of that. That's like women are equal to men. And I think as you've said multiple times, it's not necessarily about being equal to men. (laughs) It's it's a little bit more complicated. It's equity as opposed to equality, you know? Yes, we deserve the same things or whatever we want, really. (laughs) But, But we have to be able to do it in our own way. Yeah, I think it's more nuanced than just equal, the same. There's more levels than just that. And I I think we're beginning to understand that more and more. It's part of our evolution as a society. And as always, we have a long way to go and we'll just go on to the next thing. (laughs) 
I want to ask you, what is, what is the good dirt mean to you in your life and your work? What do you have to say about good dirt? <laughs> I think really what the good dirt means to me is to remember that we come from the earth. We're made from the earth. We're made of water. Our bodies respond to nature and remembering that it's not like I didn't know it. It's mm -hmm. in my DNA, but remembering that and having the space to understand it. And I used to, I was in the outdoor world. I used to be a rock climber and a hiker and all that stuff when I was in my twenties. And I think it was my body answering the call to come back to nature and the rhythms of nature, but not knowing how to do it and having to do it by doing a thing. And I think mm -hmm. in my intentional reconnection with the rhythms of the natural world around me, you know, how we grow our food, how we consume food, basically how we do everything, the rhythms of how we do everything with the natural world in mind. And granted, while I'm talking to you, I'm literally looking out into mountainous wilderness. So it's kind of in my face all the time, but that to me is the good dirt. It's making, reconnecting to the ancestral wisdom of the connection to the earth. Oh, thank you. I needed to hear that today. That's beautiful. <laughs> And then also we love to ask everyone just to leave us with some wisdom about basically what do you want the listeners to most understand about the work that you do? And it's okay if you feel like you've said it before, but just kind of reiterating what you want people to take away from this conversation. There's a lot of things, but I want people to remember that they have wisdom in their beings, right? Our bodies are these wise, incredible beings that we inhabit. There are vessels, right? There are sacred vessels. And, and to know there's so much wisdom there that it's not woo <laughs> to tap into that. I think that's the most important thing. And also it's extremely radical mm -hmm. to reconnect to yourself and to do it in a way that feels good to you. And at the same time, when you make that reconnection, when you deepen your well-being when you slow down and make space in your life. Remember that your communities, your local, your global communities are suffering. The earth is suffering and the earth need us to step up and make change. And so to tap into that knowledge, to that wisdom within, and then meet communities in the need that they have, right? We're meeting our own personal needs. Mm-hmm in whatever way it is. And to know that to serve a community in need, you have to know what their needs are. It's not our own personal imposed needs and change that needs to be made, yeah. right? <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That's really yeah. <laughs> important. I mean, it is because it's, it's very easy to think, I know what to do for this community to help mm -hmm. them feel better. Like the other day I went to the doctor and I've been having irregular periods and she's like, you might be perimenopausal, which is great newsflash for being 38. She's like, how about you go on hormonal birth control? And there's a lot of reasons why that's a big no, <laughs> but and you can message me on Instagram if you want me to tell you why. But to me, it's the same thing as going into a community that is like a food desert and just being mm -hmm. like, let me tell you how to do this. Yeah. What you need is instead of what do you want to do? Mm-hmm to make the change you need. How can I help you? 
I want to ask you in your work, do you help women that are postmenopausal understand about, you know, the hormonal landscape and how that affects Asking for them? A friend. You know, Mary, it's, <laughs> it's something that has been on the forefront of my mind. It's something like yeah. using the hormonal cycle is something I've been studying over the last couple of years in yeah. figuring out how to teach that. But yeah. now with perimenopause and menopause on the horizon, it's definitely in the forefront <laughs> of my mind to yeah. figure that out. And Something that I heard recently was in Chinese medicine, they view menopause as the second spring, which I really yeah. loved that because there's so much fear and tension around menopause in our society. It's like, oh God, I told my husband, the doctor thinks I'm perimenopausal. And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Like you're going to turn into a crazy person here yes, in a couple of years. Really thinks that. And I'm like, look, okay, this is a yeah. big thing for me. Like I'm trying to figure this out, but to look at it like, okay, it's just another iteration of myself. I'm going to have to incorporate this knowledge that my body is taking in, right. And figure out how to move through it. But to look at it as a second spring, I just, I loved that. So I don't at this point, what I would say is focus on the lunar calendar because you know, the moon is, it's, yeah. it has a big pull on us. Right. But hormonally speaking, no, not yet, yeah. but it's coming. Well, what I've heard is that the childbearing age body is meant to grow humans and propagation of the species. And then women make that transition into the postmenopausal body. And the purpose is to grow and birth wisdom. Yeah, I'm fully on board <laughs> so, with that. Yeah. <laughs> Once you get through that phase of life of, you know, having babies, then you, you have another chance. It's another spring. It's another chance mm -hmm. to grow something else. And that is certainly applied in my life in a very big way. I love that. Thank you so much, Sharon, for joining us today. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Before we leave, can you tell our audience where they can find you and about your podcast and your upcoming community and all of that good stuff? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my business is Glow Emporium. The website is glowemporium.com. The Glow Apothecary is coming. It's in the works. So you can jump on my email list if you want to stay tuned there which you can do that very easily on my website. And I also just created a free glow guide to the moon. It's an entry level of how to utilize the lunar calendar for well-being and productivity. So you can jump on my website and grab that and add your email. And I will keep you updated about the apothecary. I'm on Instagram some more than maybe I'd like to admit, but it's the.glow.emporium. I have a podcast that I co-host with my dear friend, Liz, who I mentioned earlier, and it's called Unrefined She. It's a well-being podcast for women, and you can listen to that on any platform you get podcast. Yay, I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you in the Almanac. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, we're really looking forward to your, your workshop in the Almanac. Yeah, so. I'm looking forward to that too. Thank you so much. Bye, thank you. <laughs> I feel like I've learned so much from Sharon. 
through listening to her during our presentation in the Almanac and also this conversation. And I really appreciate her perspective. It's given me so much to think about and go on. Yeah. And as you heard her mention, Sharon also has her own podcast. And mom, you and I were on her show uh, a few weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, definitely check out the podcast, The Unrefined She episode with Lady Farmer. That's a great one. We really loved that conversation as well. If you're just now finding us, welcome to Lady Farmer. We're on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. We have an online community currently closed for enrollment, but we will open back up again later in the year. And uh, tune in every week for more of the good dirt. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.